0: Book Three, Chapter Seventeen of Clara Vaughan, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clara Vaughan, Volume Two, by R. D. Blackmore. Book Three, Chapter Seventeen. How vast the rooms appeared to me! how endless the main passages, after the dimensions long familiar at Tossles Barton and mrs Shelfer's! I even feared to lose my way, where my childish feet had measured every step. First I hurried to my own snug room-or rooms, for I had parlor and bedroom adjoining in the western wing, where my mother used to live. Everything there was in beautiful order a lamp and a good fire lighted, and Matilda Jenkins met me at the door. Directly after our departure for Devonshire, Mr. Vaughan had thought fit to discharge all the old servants except the housekeeper and Matilda. They were all in league against him, for they could not bear that the rightful owners whom they had known so long should be ejected. Moreover, his discipline was far more stern than ours, for my father and mother had always ruled by love. The housekeeper, a great friend of mine, was retained from respect and policy, and poor Tilly, who entered life through a dustbin, from contempt of her insignificance. By that time she had risen to the rank of scullery-maid and deputy dishwasher, now she had climbed in the social scale to the position of under-housemaid. "'Why, Matilda, how well you look and how smart! I declare you are getting quite tall. I suppose the new times agree with you better than the old.' "'Oh, don't say that, Miss Clara. Please don't. I'd tear the gown off my back.' Looking savagely at the neat print, "'if I thought it make you think that. "'No, I gets a little more wages, "'but a deal more work, "'and I never gets a kind word. "'Oh, it does my heart good to see you here again, "'in your own house, Miss Clara, dear. "'An evil to them as drove you out.' "'And she lifted the corner of her new white muslin apron. "'And I've tended your rooms all myself.' though it wasn't in my part, and never let no one else touch them ever since I was took from the kitchen. And always a jug full of flowers, miss, because you was so fond of them.' "'Thank you, Matilda. How kind of you, to be sure.' "'Many's the time I've cried over them, miss, and the new shilling you give me when we was little girls together. "'But please to call me Tilly, miss.' THE SAME AS YOU ALWAYS USED. I CAN'T STOP TO TALK TO YOU NOW, TILLY. HOW IS MRS. FLETCHER? QUITE HEARTY, MISS, ALL BUT THE Rheumatics. Oh, SHE DO SUFFER TERRIBLE FROM THEM. US BOTH WAITED UP, MISS, AND I TO AND FRO THE DOOR TILL THE CARRIAGE COME HOME. AND THEN SHE WENT OFF TO BED, AND I WAS UP WITH HER, AND NEVER KNOWED WHEN YOU COME but she's getting up now, miss, to come here to see you. Go and stop her at once. I will see her to-morrow. Stop. Show me first your master's room. Knock gently and bring out the nurse. The doctor is gone, I believe. Yes, miss. He left here at eight o'clock, for he had a long way to drive, and he couldn't do nothing more. But you must not go, miss. Oh, pray, miss, DON'T GO THERE." We went along the passage until we came to the door. I was surprised to see a new door across the lobby, very closely fitted. There was an inner door also, and the nurse did not seem very wakeful. Instead of knocking again, Matilda retreated hastily. At last the nurse appeared. AND I FOUND HER TO BE A VERY RESPECTABLE WOMAN, WHO HAD BEEN WITH MY MOTHER THROUGH SEVERAL ATTACKS OF ILLNESS. A DARK SUSPICION, WHICH I HAD SCARCELY CONFESSED TO MYSELF, WAS PARTLY ALLAYED HEREBY. AFTER WHISPERING FOR A FEW MOMENTS, SHE LED ME INTO THE DIMLY-LIGHTED ROOM AND TO MY UNCLE'S BED. I STARTED BACK IN TERROR. Prepared as I was for a very great change, what I saw astounded me. The face, so drawn and warped aside, withered, and yet pulpy, with an undercast of blue. The lines of the mouth, so trenched and livid, that the screwed lips were like a bull's-eye in a blue-diamond pane. And the hair, so dark and curly when last I saw him now shredded, in patches of waxy grey. The only sign of life I saw was a feeble twitching of the bedclothes every now and then. The poor eyes were closed hard and wrinkled round. One wasted arm lay on the quilt, the hand bent up at the wrist, the fingers clutched, yet flabby and as cold as death. It was a sight for human pride to cower at, and be quelled. "'Is he like this always?' "'No,' she replied. "'But he has been so now for ten hours and more. Generally he is taken with pain and thirst every six hours, and it makes my heart ache to hear him moan and cry. "'Does he say anything particular, then?' "'God knows, I was not pursuing my own foul purpose in asking this. "'Thank him, I was not such a fiend as that. "'All I wished was to relieve him whom I pitied so. "'Yes, he opens his eyes and stares, "'and then he always says, "'and he tries to shake his head only he isn't strong enough, "'My fault, ah me, my fault!' "'and to rob them, too. "'If I could but see her, "'if I could but see her, and die. "'He always says that first, "'and then that exhausts him so "'he can hardly say water after. "'And then he moans so melancholy, "'and then he goes off again.' "'The tears stood in her eyes, "'for she had a tender heart, I burst into my usual violent flood, for I never have any half-crying. "'Have you any medicine to give him?' "'No, miss. No more. He has taken a shopful already, though he can only swallow it at the time he wakes up. The doctor said to-night he could do no more. This awful black fever must end in mortification. No medicine moves it at all.' "'Did the doctor call it black fever?' "'Yes, the very worst form of typhus, of the real Irish type, such as they've had once or twice in Manchester. "'It is settled most on the stomach, but all the blood is poisoned.' And she sprinkled herself and the bed again with disinfecting fluid, and threw some over me. "'Excuse me, miss.' "'You wouldn't allow me, so I'm bound not to ask you. "'You know you came in dead against my will, "'and dead against all orders.' "'This was what the whispering had been about. "'And if anything happens to you, Miss Vaughan, "'who is to have all the property "'but that bad Mrs. Daldy?' "'Ah!' "'In a moment I saw the whole, "'though it was too black for belief.' "'blacker than any fever that festers the human heart. "'This was the purpose with which that woman had sent for me. "'She had lied to me as to the character of the disease. "'She had opposed me because she knew it was the surest way to urge me. "'She had brought me to at night when fevers are doubly infectious. "'You see, miss,' We are forced to keep the three windows open, and the passage doors all closed. It's a wonder I had any of the fluid left, for they never sent it up this afternoon. But I had a drop put by, no thanks to them for the same. Mrs. Daldy brought the first nurse, but she ran clean away when the fever took the turn, and they were forced to send for me, for nobody else would come near him. "'But my poor old man has no work, and I've minded as bad a case as this, and they say I be fever-proof. "'But you, miss—you—I should never forgive myself if anything happened to you, and in your youth and bloom. "'Though I could not stop you, you know I did my best, and they say you catch things most when you come off a journey.' jane whatever happens you are not to blame i have no fear whatever and now i am here i will stay it is safer so both for myself and others well miss so i have heard say once in for it keep to the air but come into this little room if you want to talk to me miss we can hear the poor gentleman move or even sigh and the air is a little fresher there but we must keep the window open." She led me into the dressing-room, but even there the same crawling, creeping smell pervaded, as if a grave had been opened when the ground was full of gas. Instead of talking to the nurse, I began to think. It broke upon me vaguely that I had heard of some very simple remedy for a fever of this nature. And that my dear mother, who in her prosperous times was the village doctoress, had been acquainted with the case. But in the whirl of my brain I could not bring to mind what it was. Oh, what would I give only to think of it now? Though not, I am sorry to say, at all of a pious turn, at least if Mrs. Dawley is so, in the strong feeling of the moment, I fell upon my knees and prayed for help. So had my mother taught me, and Mother Nature taught me now. I will not be so daring as to say that my prayer was answered. Perhaps it was only that it calmed my mind. Jane, have they been brewing lately? Alas, the bathos, but I can't help it. Yes, miss last thursday and friday they won't let me go near the kitchen part but i know it all the same go and get me a nice jug of fresh yeast i will watch your master she stared and hesitated but saw that i was in earnest i don't know where to find it miss and none of them will come near me and they'll stop me too if they can why, they won't bring my food to the door, but put it half-way down the passage. They wanted to lock me in, only I wouldn't stand that. And they break all the plates and dishes. And to-day they sent word that my dinner must come in at the window to-morrow." Lo! Cowards and zanies! Now, find the yeast, Jane, if you have to search for an hour. They must all be gone to bed now, except Matilda Jenkins, and she dare not stop you if you say you have my orders.' "'Bless you, miss! She'll run away as if I was a ghost!' "'Then call to her, that I say she must go to bed directly.' After a few more words Jane went her way stealthily like a thoroughbred thief, and I was left alone with my poor dying uncle. Wonderful as it seemed to me, I felt now a tender affection for him. I, the resolute, the consistent, the bitter Clara Vaughan. Even if he had told me that moment that he had plotted my father's death, I would have periled my life for his, because I should have known that he was sorry. Yet I was full of cold fear lest he should wake to consciousness and utter that awful cry while I alone was with him, in the dead hour of night. Sooner than I expected, the nurse came back with a jug of beautiful yeast, smelling as fresh as daybreak. We put it outside the window on the stone sill, to keep it cool and airy. She had seen no one except Matilda, who was waiting for me, and crying dreadfully, predicting my certain death, and her own too, "'if she should have to attend me.' "'She kept at a most respectful distance from Jane, "'and with all her affection "'was glad to be clear of me for the night. "'For nearly two hours "'the nurse and I sat watching "'with hardly a spoken word, "'except that I asked one question. "'How often has Mrs. Daldy "'been to see my uncle?' "'She would hardly leave his bedside, until the fever declared itself. Since then she has not been once. Broad awake at that strange hour, and in that strange way, I began to pass through the stereoscope of my brain the many strange slides of my life. Of all these, the last for the moment seemed the strangest. Suddenly we heard a low feeble moan, Running into the bedroom, there we saw the poor sick one with his eyes wide open, vainly attempting to rise. I put my arms around him and raised him on the pillow. He tried to say thank you, for he was always a gentleman in his manners. Then he gazed at me with hazily wondering eyes. Then he opened his mouth in a spasmodic way, and began that bitter cry. "'Ere he closed his mouth again, I poured well into his throat a tablespoonful of yeast, "'handed to me by Jane. "'To my great pleasure it glided beyond the black tongue, "'and I gave him two more spoonfuls while he was staring at me with a weak and rigid amazement. "'No water, Jane, not a drop of water. "'It will work far better alone.' He doesn't know what it is, and he thinks he has had his water. Keep him thirsty that he may take more. As he lay thus in my arms, I felt that one side was icily cold, and the other fiery hot. His face looked most ghastly and livid, but there was not that mystical grey upon it, like the earth-shine on the moon, which shows when the face of man is death's mirror. AND THE knee OF DEATH ON MAN'S HEART. IN A MINUTE HE SLID FROM MY GRASP DOWN ON THE PILLOW AGAIN, AND WITH A LONG DRAWN SIGH BECAME ONCE MORE STIFF AND INSENSIBLE. MY HOPE WAS FAINT INDEED, BUT STILL IT WAS HOPE. IF HE HAD HOPE'S VITALITY, HE MIGHT YET BE SAVED. The rest of that night was passed by the nurse and myself in heavy yet broken sleep. Jane assured me that there was no chance of my poor uncle becoming conscious again for at least six hours. I was loath to forego my watch, and argued that the dose we had given might cut short this interval. But, lo, while I kept repeating at weary and weary periods— that I could do no harm, since the physician gave up, and I might do good, sleep, the lover of repetition, laid his hand alike on my formula and myself. Dear Judy's howl was in my dream, and Mrs. Shelfers' never-ceasing prattle. End of Book Three, Chapter Seventeen